0: This
1: is Tori Dunlap, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast.
0: Listen, the facts are the facts. The gender and racial wage and net worth gaps are real. From executive suites to boardrooms all around the country, occupancy is mostly made up of white men. I feel like we now acknowledge this. We have moved from an understanding of equality to equity the hard work of giving people what they need to be on equal footing and succeed. Yet, yet, we still don't talk about these issues in certain ways. We embrace the quiet prodding, the humble counterpoints, the making a difference without rocking the boat. We fashion ourselves as allies, even as many such things as anger, confidence, and unabashed truth-telling are still frowned upon. It's all okay as long as no one gets too big in the britches. It's all okay as long as no one threatens the status quo too much. Well, to put it bluntly, my guest today is emphatically calling bullshit, and she's doing it without apology. Tori Dunlap is the creator of the fantastically successful platform Her First 100K, the host of a top-ranked business podcast, and now recently the New York Times bestselling author of Financial Feminist... Overcome the Patriarchy's Bullshit to Master Your Money and Build a Life You Love. Tori Dunlap, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Let's talk about a word in your best-selling book's subtitle, patriarchy. Yeah. Why is this such an inflammatory word?
1: Thanks for having me back, and thanks for coming on my show. We had a lovely interview over on Financial Feminist Podcast. Okay, patriarchy. We could spend the whole interview just talking about this. I think when people who don't identify as women, typically men, hear the word patriarchy, they think that patriarchy means men. It does not. Patriarchy means the system that has been upheld that hurts men as much as it hurts everybody else. Because what the patriarchy demands of men is a certain gender norm, typically, the don't cry, man up, provide for your family. At all costs, right? And so when I say patriarchy, and of course, a title like financial feminist, men might be thinking, is this for me? It doesn't sound like it's for me. I did write this with women in mind. Women are my core demographic. However, anybody who identifies as a feminist is someone who believes in the equality of all genders. And anyone who is a feminist also understands that the word patriarchy really refers to the sexist, ableist, homophobic, racist system that has been upheld that disenfranchises and hurts everybody under it. It hurts men just as much as it hurts women. And so when we say overcome the patriarchy's bullshit, what that's... Uh, implying and really promoting is this idea that if we can use money as a tool to build the life that we love, we can use money as a tool to build a better society for everybody and that we can rebuild and readjust so that to your point before, this is not just an equal society, but it's an equitable one.
0: I love the way you say that, because in a sense, the word patriarchy feels and sounds gendered. But I feel like with this book, you're talking to women, but you're also talking to people of color. You're pretty much talking to anyone who doesn't fit into that typical white male box. But to go a step further, you're also talking to men who aren't necessarily served by the system either.
1: Yeah. Even if you are a you know very classic cisgendered straight white man, the patriarchy is hurting you, too, because it's telling you what kind of person you need to be, what a man is. And I'm putting that in quotes, right? Like what what it means to be a man. And for more on this, Man Enough is a great podcast and platform by my friend Justin Baldoni, where he talks about like, what does it mean to be a man? What does masculinity mean? But I think that the common misconception, just like when, you know, myself and other people say like men are trash, we are not saying individual men. We are saying men is like a social construct, right? Or men as a social group, right? And if you are the person who gets, (laughs) who feels like men are trash is about you, I think that says a lot more about you than it does about me. So when you say patriarchy and if you immediately go ill or you feel threatened, We're we're specifically talking about the system that exists. And frankly, if you don't think that the system needs to change, wake up.
0: (laughs) Talk to me about your own financial trajectory. When did you start feeling this influence of the patriarchy on your personal finances?
1: I'm going to take I'm going to like take your question a slightly different way. For me, it wasn't personal finances. It was just sexism in general. And of course, that like that. It ties to our money. It ties to our careers. It ties to everything. I don't know if I've ever gotten to answer this question before. But I think when I was – I remember concretely the first time, or at least what I think was the first time. I'm sure there was a time before. But when I was 13, I was on an all-girls softball team. And we were playing in a co-ed cohort. We were playing in a co-ed league. There were plenty of other teams that were either half and half, you know, girls and boys, or were all boys. And we actually went on to win the league that year. And the last, like the final championship game was the first time I remember seeing such blatant sexism. Not only from the boys, from the 12, 13-year-old boys, but from their dads who were the coaches. Hmm. They could not stand to have their boys beaten by a group of girls. It made them deeply uncomfortable. And it was so interesting to watch because I had been told my entire life that I could be anybody I wanted and could do anything I wanted. And that was the first time that maybe somebody was going to get pissed off if I did, or that I was going to be called a name if I wanted this thing that I wasn't supposed to want. And I think that I can track that through every single aspect of personal finance, right? We are in a system that demands women play small. And I I was learning that from a very young age. Oh, in order to be liked, in order to be accepted, in order to be someone who can navigate this system, I need to dampen my own dreams, my own goals, my own aspirations. That's in every regard. That is relationships, that's my career, that's my money. And if I Tr- get anybody to do anything with this book. It is the hope that women start to understand that we have been conditioned to play small. And when it comes to our money, we've been conditioned to actively push it away, to not pursue wealth, to feel that debt or ba- or money is bad. And in that way, the patriarchy wins. In that way we are conditioned to play small. And what a beautiful thing it would be. If every single person on this planet could rise up to their full potential without punishment.
0: I feel like you and I share parts of our upbringing, because what I've heard you write and say about your parents is this societal push maybe wasn't felt for you at a young age because your parents were very supportive. And I also yeah. felt that because I my father died and I was brought up by a very strong, able woman. Right. So it was very counterintuitive to then go into the world and see people not treat women with the respect I saw in my mother in the workplace and those kind yeah. of things. Talk about this idea of fixing a societal problem with personal responsibility, because I feel like we bump up against this all the time. And it, it, it feels contradictory. But on the other hand, maybe it isn't.
1: When you say personal responsibility, what do you mean? Tell me more about that.
0: Well, you wrote a book that focuses on talking about how women specifically but other people can build a life they love yeah and yet we're also talking about the fact that there is this societal problem that these women you're talking to have nothing to do with yeah sometimes it feels counterintuitive counterintuitive to say the world screwed up here's how you fix yourself
1: that was the biggest thing my biggest hurdle to writing this book and something that absolutely anguished me to be honest because i had probably 9 months into the actual writing i had like a full blown where i'm like what does this matter this doesn't matter like in in a world and society that you might have to believe this but is so royally fucked like how how do we navigate that and what is my book going to do if you are honest to god living paycheck to paycheck the answer is not much And the answer for every personal finance book is not much. If you are honestly living paycheck to paycheck, if you do not have two nickels to rub together, and I come in telling you how to budget, that doesn't matter. That's where you need societal change. That's where you need government support. That's where you need all of the other things that unfortunately a New York Times bestselling book is not going to fix, right? Like it's not going to fix it. And it's something that really anguished me because I was like, then why do it at all? Then why do it at all? And the answer is, You do it because it will help somebody and it will help people use money as a tool to start changing the system for everybody. I talk in the book about what I call like oxygen mask finances, right? You get on a plane. What do they tell you? Put on your own oxygen mask first before assisting others. And women are taught to be altruistic to the point that we are flailing around the plane trying to put everybody else's oxygen masks on first and we're dying because of it. And I can't speak for a Black woman's experience, but I know from listening and from statistics and data that literally that's what's happening is many women, and especially women of color, are dying trying to take care of everybody else. And the truth is, is that if we can put our own oxygen masks on first... Then not only can we assist others, right? Because we have our oxygen mask air flowing, we we can breathe, but also we get to create a plane where everybody gets an oxygen mask. And it's not a privilege for some people who get a mask or some people who don't. And so if I can do at an individual level a little bit of work to not only help myself, but to help others, if I can create a platform just with what I can control, then great. I think that's going to help more than me not doing anything at all. And I believe it was Margaret Mead who said, uh, what is it? The um, never doubt that a small group of people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Right. And it's like, I can't change the entire system. I can't solve capitalism. This book does not solve capitalism (laughs) or inequality, but it helps you survive capitalism. It helps you navigate it to the best of your ability. And then, again, when you're taken care of, when your oxygen is flowing in your mask, then you get to help other people and you get to start creating a system where everybody gets a mask.
0: One thing that I think this book does very well is if we are at some point going to fight for equity, equality, and belonging, we have to be able to see through some of those narratives that are stopping us from getting there. And I want to take a quote from your first chapter You say, so in the spirit of vulnerability, we're going to focus on the emotional side of money, good, bad, and ugly. How can we use more of our money to bring us joy, comfort, and stability? And we're going to frame the most common of these financial emotions, shame, and judgment through what I call the five patriarchal narratives. I want to enumerate those narratives in a minute, but first and foremost, tell us the concept of these patriarchal narratives. What does that mean?
1: It's this idea that a lot of the things we've been taught about money have to do with just the sort of narrative, stories, beliefs that either happened in childhood or happen when you get old enough to start understanding what society is telling you. And you'll notice as we go through these that most of these affect men as well. They either might not affect them to the same degree, you know, it might be more minor, but they do affect men. And so I think that We spend the entire first chapter talking about the emotions of money and talking about the psychology of money. It is the longest chapter, and it's the chapter I spent the most time on, on purpose, because you can't learn how to budget. You can't learn how to pay off debt. You can't understand what a Roth IRA is until you understand, oh, this is my trigger around money, or this is why I keep sabotaging myself or which we'll talk about in a second, I've been believing that talking about money is taboo and it's keeping me underpaid and overworked. Right? Like A lot of these things, and I would argue 80% of the personal finance equation is systemic oppression, is circumstances, is things outside of your control. So the more you start to understand actually how little you can control, you get to give yourself a lot of grace and understanding when you do mess up around money or when things don't go your way or when you're like, I, why am I not able to save money? It's like, it's probably not like a deficit on your part.
0: I love this idea because I think in behavioral finance, something we're becoming much more aware of, we talk about money scripts all the time and those are experiences or those things we're taught as children. But often we forget that there's a major societal component to that too. So we think again of that personal component or that family component But when we put that in perspective of the societal narratives that are also teaching us a lot about the way we think of money, it makes more sense. So let's jump to number one. The number one patriarchal narrative that you mentioned is you should know how to money. (laughs) Why do you think this is destructive? And and specifically to kind of the non cisgendered white man, why is this more destructive to other people?
1: Yeah. So this is a narrative that anybody, regardless of gender identity, has heard, right? It's just like we somehow come out of the womb expecting ourselves to know how to manage money and how to navigate debt. And yet we don't come out of the womb like expecting, oh, yeah, I'm going to be able to speak fluent Italian or like know how to play the tuba. Right. And it's like, why do we think that about money? We think either we have like the good money gene or we don't. And that's just not true. The vast majority of people are shocked to discover that I was a theater major. I was a communications and a theater major, did not study finance, did not study business. And yet I'm great with money. And it's like, it's not about like if you're good with money or not. It's like, were you taught it? And we just expect that we should be magically good with money. And just like anything else, you're going to be bad at it for a period of time. If you ask me to strap on some roller skates and like go skate through the neighborhood, I'm going to fall on my butt and it's going to happen. And it's the same thing with money. Specifically with women, though, is that as we grow older, we are taught less and less about money. And it's socially conditioned for men To have conversations about money or to be taught this in the way that women aren't. And again, I know we're going to talk about this in a second, but like men are talking about money on the golf course, the whiskey bar, right? They're like, they're talking openly and honestly about money in a way that women aren't. And so I think that that's one of the big things. And the big differences I see is it's like no one's taught about money, yet everybody thinks we should be magically good at it. We should be experts. And as we age and as we grow older, right? There is this expectation and this this like social conditioning that it's okay for men to pursue money and want money and understand money and they're taught more about money. And we actually know this, again, I mentioned this statistic in the book, that if a family is made up of girls and boys, girls are taught certain things about money or not taught at all about money in a way that boys aren't. Boys are more likely to be educated about money than than girls are.
0: And specifically, right, Girls and women are stressed frugality, whereas men are stressed money-making, right? So go out Mm -hmm. there, get in the stock market, build the business, move up in the corporate world. That's not necessarily what little girls are told.
1: No, we talk about one of these narratives in the second chapter, which is like what we call our spending chapter. And the narrative with women, you just highlighted it perfectly. For men, it's grow, it's expand, right? It's earn more money, make more money, grow your money. For women, it's like stop spending money on quote unquote frivolous things. And the very things that are deemed frivolous are always lattes and manicures and purses, but not NFL season tickets or golf clubs. Right. So like that's a perfect example of how we we gender personal finance advice and how if you want to take it even a step further, we expect women to perform femininity in a certain way. And when I say perform femininity, I say, you know, If you show up to work as a woman without makeup or without your hair done, suddenly you're tired. You look tired or you're unprofessional and you're less likely to get the promotion, right? Or less likely to be invited into that really key business meeting. So the very things that I'm actually getting shamed for as a woman... The, the manicures, the makeup, the, the hairstyling, right? Are the very things that I'm actually expected to do in society in order to progress. And that's where things get really murky, right? The more onion layers you start peeling back, the murkier this gets. So again, men expand. Women shrink. And specifically, stop spending money on these things that we're also expecting you to spend money on. And because of the pink tax, we're going to charge you more for them. We're going to charge you more for razors. We're going to charge you more for shaving cream. We're going to charge you more for the things just because they're pink.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the trope. And this really, in my mind, separates equity from equality. This idea that you can have both a man, man and a woman corporate executive, and they can have very similar jobs. But the man says, I have to miss this meeting because my son has a baseball game and it's accepted. And oh, what a great father you are. But a woman has to miss a meeting because her child is sick or there's something they have to do. Or she's also got to go to a baseball game or a baseball game. and, And it's like, oh, well, yeah, you know, you can't you can't miss this meeting. You have to be here. It's frowned upon.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of listeners might be like, okay, yeah, maybe that happens like at some places, but not all places. We actually know from data this has like been tracked over decades that there's what's called a fatherhood benefit and a motherhood penalty and literally you can watch like the graph the chart of men's earnings spikes if he has children and the graph for women's earnings depletes like it goes down immediately and so like it's not just like a circumstance or like that happened to one person this is an industry-wide countrywide global phenomenon, the fatherhood penalty, which to your point is like, oh, he's such a good dad, he's providing, because again, the patriarchy has told us that men have to provide, and that if they are providing, then they're checking that box of their gender, right? And then for women they are viewed as, oh, they have conf- competing priorities now. They can't care about their work as much as they care about their kid. And why aren't they home more, right? And so in that way, their careers and their earnings actually suffer if they choose to have children.
0: One of the interesting things about that data is, as you were saying, as men become fathers, their pay actually increases. As women become mothers, their pay decreases. Up into a point, Most people just didn't know that. And that brings us to the second of the patriarchal narratives. Talking about money isn't polite. Like a lot of people don't know about these things because we don't talk about money. I feel like there's something more sinister here. Who's perpetuating this narrative that we shouldn't be talking about money?
1: The people who are paying us, the people who have the the financial system as it currently exists, because if you aren't talking about money, you don't know that Chad, who got hired two years after you, makes 20% more. And if you're not talking about money, you feel ashamed about your debt, even though all of your friends have debt too and are trying to navigate it to the best of their ability. Yeah, my not so conspiracy conspiracy theory is that this is a narrative perpetuated to keep you underpaid and overworked, right? And I've already kind of talked about it and danced around it, but we are more likely to have any other uncomfortable conversation again statistically speaking we will talk about sex we'll talk about death we'll talk about religion we'll talk about politics people are va- the vast majority of people are more comfortable getting naked with somebody than they are asking how much money they make or how much debt they have or what their credit score is right and it's like this is this is meant and upheld to keep people underpaid and overworked And when you start talking about money, not only do you start understanding, oh, I can ask for this or, oh, I should be making this or, oh, I should, you know, I can I can save that money. But also you feel way less alone and you feel way less shame and judgment because as Brene Brown thoughtfully said, shame lives in shadow, right? And so the more you're not talking about it, the more isolated you feel, the more judgment and guilt you have around money. And if we started talking about money more – not only, again, is there more equality, there's more equity, but there's also just less shame. And like, I think that that's case enough for why we should have more of these conversations.
0: It's interesting. Narrative two says it's impolite to talk about money. Narrative three says if you're going to talk about money, let's talk about the fact that you'll be rich if you just work hard enough. <laughs> I mean, on the face, that sounds okay, right? I mean, on the face of it, work hard, make money, do well. I mean, isn't that kind of how things are supposed to work?
1: It was. Uh, it's a narrative that has been perpetuated since the dawn of white American society, right? It was like we literally spend a paragraph in the book talking about like that was, uh, that was what Puritans believed was like I will be favored by God if I work hard. Now I imagine some listeners are immediately like, "Yes, that's the American dream: is you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you work hard." If working hard was enough, we'd have way more people out here balling out. <laughs> like, if working hard was enough, we'd have a lot of people with a lot of money. We'd have housekeepers and teachers and social workers who are multimillionaires, but that's not true. Because the most gaslighty thing you can say to a single mom who is working three jobs is, well, If you're not a millionaire, you're just not working hard enough. If you don't have uh, the ability to give your kids shoes when they need shoes, then you're just not working hard enough. Hard work is important. No one's discounting that. However, hard work is not the only uh, key to this equation, right? All of these other factors, and I would argue, influence money way more than how hard you may or may not be working. And again, I think there is this misconception of like people are getting government aid, being they're lazy, and it's like, that's just not true. There are some people who take advantage of the system. However, the vast majority of people are truly out here just trying to make ends meet and just trying to navigate this to the best of their ability, and they're working their asses off, and they're still not rich. They're still not able to pay their own bills or at least have enough money to take a vacation once a year. And so I think that this is, again, a narrative that just feels really insensitive and really hurtful to people who are just working so diligently and so hard, yet have very little financially to show for it.
0: As I watched your podcast move up the business rankings, I saw you brush shoulders with two fairly popular personal finance gurus, Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman. Mm-hmm. I feel like they really push that narrative, right? This idea that oh, yeah. oh just work harder, just work harder. I mean let's assume they have the right intentions in mind, mm-hmm. right? They truly want to sure. help people. Why do they stick to that narrative so strongly? Because it's easier.
1: It is it's not gray. It's black or white. You're either working hard or you're not working hard. This is why this book was so difficult to write is everything about society is gray. Mm -hmm. Everything, right? It's not just your personal choices. It's racism and sexism and ableism and recession and inflation. And individuals don't have answers for those things. So if you're trying to um, promote yourself as the guru, as the person that people should follow with all of the answers, then you need to have answers. And the truth is, is that I have a lot of answers. There's plenty of questions I don't have answers to. And the answer isn't work harder right? Because that's not working. So I think it's a lot easier to make money, to build a business, to be seen as a thought leader and as the guru descended from on high. If you tell people it's either this or it's that, there's no middle. You're either working hard or you're not. You're either rich because you worked hard or you're not rich because you didn't work hard enough. That's just not true. (laughs) It's just not true.
0: We are talking to Tori Dunlap. She is the creator of the fantastically successful platform, Her First 100K, and the host of a top-ranked business podcast. And we are talking the five patriarchal narratives. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. You know what? that's dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Let me reintroduce you. We we're talking to Tori Dunlap. Her book, Financial Feminist, Overcome the Patriarchy's Bullshit to Master Your Money and Build a Life You Love, is a New York Times bestseller. And we are talking about the five patriarchal narratives. We talked about one, two, and three. Number one is you should know how to money. Number two is talking about money is impolite. Number three is you'll be rich if you just work hard. And that brings us to number four, this idea that wanting more money is selfish. This specifically sounds like a very gendered narrative, like because I feel like people don't tell men wanting to be successful and be a millionaire or billionaire is a bad thing. And yet people are a little bit less enthusiastic about women doing that
1: look at any of my social media comments when i talk about building wealth it is yeah this is probably the most i was talking about how these narratives hurt everybody this is the one that hurts women most of all and to your point again like we are comfortable as a society with men's pursuit of wealth we encourage it we promote it right there are plenty of people out there worshiping billionaires (laughs) and all of the billionaires are men so i think that um The the interesting thing is we condition women to be altruistic. We condition women to constantly give of themselves. And I mentioned in the book how this starts in childhood, right? And perfect example is the kind of toys we give children. Boys, they're given Legos, right? They're given things to build and things to create. And they're taught innovation and they're taught self-reliance. What are girls given? Dolls. Dolls, right? Doll houses, easy bake ovens, bridal veils. We give a literal child another child to take care of, and somehow that isn't, like, fucked. Like, like we give a three-year-old girl another, like, child to, quote-unquote, take care of, right? And so we're told from the get-go that our value in society men's value to society is their own ingenuity. right? The value for women in society is their ability to caretake and their ability to sacrifice all of themselves for other people. Now, I'm not saying women should be less altruistic. It's what I love most about being a woman, truly, is it's like our default giving nature. There's just not the same expectation. And if we taught boys and men To be a little more altruistic, I think we'd be in a better world. And I think we're starting to see that. But as we age, then, if we have the audacity to pursue wealth, it has to be for somebody else. And even me as a business owner and as a successful multimillionaire now, I can't say I'm charging what I'm charging. It has to be, I'm charging what I'm charging in order to pay my people well or in order for me to, you know, do this. It can't be for my own benefit. And it's a way of taxing women right? It's a way of when they have had the audacity to pursue wealth or are starting to become financially confident or stable, we then try to control them by asking, why, why aren't you donating more? Why aren't you doing this for free? The amount of people who still comment or we get emails, if you truly loved this thing, Tori, you would just do it for free. Like, if you truly thought that personal finance education was important, you would just do it for free. No one's messaging Graham Stevens and telling him that. Like, no one is messaging. Like, that's not a thing, right? But the, the whole point of my book is that when women have money, they are no longer controllable. By anybody. They don't have to stay in bad situations they don't want to be in anymore. They don't have to, you know, stay in a bad job, stay in a bad relationship. They have options and choices. And yet, the pursuit of wealth, right? The pursuit of going after money, even if it's just, I want enough money to be able to take a vacation. I want enough money to have a three month emergency fund. Women start, stop being controllable. The patriarchy panics. And so they, they, tax they they demand that we tax ourselves right and again in the same way that that men just aren't men are encouraged to pursue wealth and as they keep growing wealth we marvel at their ability to do that right the amount of like again like worship that someone like Steve Jobs gets or even Elon Musk or any of these like billionaires who we consider geniuses we actively shame and judge women For the pursuit of wealth or for their spending or for just their inability to be controlled.
0: I want to take that a step further because you kind of said the magic word there. There actually is success shaming, right? Society tells women that success is a bad thing. Like you should not be successful.
1: Yes. I experience this every day. (laughs) And I weirdly, you realize as a woman that like you can't win because when I wasn't like rich and financially stable it was like why aren't you working hard enough and now that i am it's like why aren't you donating more or again you should just do this for free if you really love it or and i feel this is deeply rooted guilt because again i've been conditioned to be altruistic where i'm like why am i doing better than another woman who i also see working hard and i feel deeply guilty for that at times and that's what's so interesting is it's like you cannot win <laughs> you just can't I, I see so many articles. This is like again perfect example of, from my own life. The amount of articles I have seen about men who rightfully deserve these articles who have like millionaire before thirty, and it's never questioned. It's not oh you got money from your dad or oh you got money from your husband right or your partner or oh like you must have lived at home. Anytime there's an article about me, which by the way, have been very there's very few written about my like multimillionaire story, there's plenty of written about my hundred k story. The origin story of her first hundred k was I was trying to save one hundred k at twenty five. Now, I have a lot of reasons why I think that's the case. I think hundred k is a lot more like achievable potentially for people, right? it's it's like more accessible it's also the name of my company so i get it but i like to think that there's a little bit of sexism in there because there's plenty of articles about how this man hit millionaire status before 30 i was financially independent at 27 i can name like two articles that were written with that same headline about me because we're uncomfortable we're uncomfortable with women having money and again specifically i think with my story um the the feedback is always well sh- her rich daddy gave her everything or oh she must have married rich I am unmarried my dad is extremely hard-working and grew up poor has given me plenty of things but after I left house gave me nothing <laughs> and as as it should be so like that's the narrative right is it's like oh if women do have money one tax yourself right? What are you donating? And donation is completely important. And I, I talk about, again, this gray area in the book. It's not don't donate. It is like we expect women to be one thing, which is altruistic, but we don't expect the same of men. And then the second thing is it's never your money. It's always somebody else's money and typically a man's money, right? It's your dad's money. It's your husband's money. It's not your money. There's no way you could have earned that amount of money.
0: And you and I have talked about this before, but I've seen this especially with women creators. Go and look at any CNBC or Yahoo Finance article about a successful woman versus a successful man, especially when it comes to finances, and then go in and look at the comments. And it is crazy, striking, crazy, the differences. I mean, everyone gets some negative comments when you're in, in a big outlet like that. But the number of negative comments women creators get in these situations is just it's it's striking.
1: Yep. And I think that this is yet another reason why women don't feel comfortable pursuing wealth. Because back to my point earlier, right, we, we are told if you want to be liked, you won't do this. I am not liked by a lot of people. You might have some listeners today who are like, I do not like this person. I challenge you to ask yourself why. Why don't you like me? First of all, I don't care if you <laughs> But second of all, like, why, why do you have that? Why do you have that resistance? And I have a feeling it's because of what society has conditioned you to feel, right? And it's it's so interesting. Right. It's so interesting to think about.
0: So, to put in a personal story here, I, I know lots of creators in our space. I know a lot of people in personal finance, and I've heard good yeah. and bad about just almost all of them. If I ever hear something bad about you, Tori, I've always asked, well, what is it? And usually what they come out with isn't something that makes any sense per se, or they're mm. not saying that you're lying or not telling the truth. I think. What this book shows, and one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on is the idea is you talk about things that people don't want to talk about.
1: It's uncomfortable, and I totally get it. Like, it's deeply uncomfortable to reckon with your own privilege. Speaking as a white person, it's deeply uncomfortable. It's deeply uncomfortable to, um, start to understand the ways you have not or have benefited from the system that exists, it's deeply uncomfortable to understand that actually so little of this is in your control. That's really, that's a hard pill to swallow. That's what, again, made writing this book so difficult is it's like, one, I have a book deal and I am contractually obligated to write this book. (laughs) (laughs) Two, it's like, I think that this book is valuable, but at the same time, like what what is this going to solve? I don't know. I think it is going to impact people. We already know it is. We've impacted 3 million women up to this point. We will continue to do that. However, does it overnight change systemic oppression? No, of course it doesn't. So yeah, any time that you are forced to get comfortable being uncomfortable, it's not a fun experience, but no change ever happens when you're comfortable. That's changing your relationships. That's changing your career. That's changing your life. That's changing how you view yourself and the kind of person you want to show up as. Also, you and I are going to have to talk tea
0: later because I want to know all the shit people say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> I want to get to the last narrative. This is a long held personal finance narrative, and you call it out on the carpet. You say the old adage that money can't buy you happiness is bullshit. That's narrative number five. And we know there's been data, right? We know all about the data and there have been studies and the newer studies and they somewhat contradict each other at points. But they agree on some level that after a certain amount of money, adding in loads of extra money isn't going to make a huge difference in your life. Tell me why this was an important narrative to talk about.
1: Yeah, but how many of those people, the everyday people are actually going to achieve that level of money, right? We know very few. So like, it's fun to talk about, but like that's not most people's reality. So this money can't buy you happiness. I I talk the first paragraph I mentioned, it it is true to a certain extent, right? It is like if you are depressed and you go buy a Porsche, that's not going to make you happy, right? Like you're you relying on monetary happiness is not going to work. But I argue that money buys you choices and stability, and those things are happiness. The ability to walk into a grocery store and not have to meticulously budget, that's happiness. The ability to live in a safe apartment that is slightly more expensive or to live in a bigger city where you do feel more safe or accepted, that is happiness. The ability to... Again, donate to causes you believe in, the ability to travel, the ability to go out to eat every once in a while. That is happiness. That is options and choices. And again, this is a narrative that is meant to keep you playing small. If if you believe that money can't buy you happiness, and if you believe that the pursuit of wealth is bad, you will actively push it away. When, in fact, money solves a lot of problems. It's like, more money, more problems? No. More money, more solutions. <laughs> more money, more choices. Like, And I think that, that again, that is a, a narrative that on face value is correct. Yes, you should not use monetary things to like bring you deeply rooted capital H happiness. However, stability, safety can all be bought. And I would argue for the vast majority of people, again, if you're a member of a marginalized group, stability and safety is happiness.
0: So we've been talking about the five patriarchal narratives. This is from Tori Dunlap's book, Financial Feminist, Overcome the Patriarchy's Bullshit to Master Your Money and Build a Life You Love. This is a very tiny, small part of the book. I decided to talk about it here because I feel like it encompasses a lot of what your platform stands for. But I want to remind listeners that there is a lot of great financial information here, a lot of other topics that you go over. I obviously couldn't handle all of them in one podcast episode i wouldn't do justice to them but i want to end on this idea of we now are familiar with the narratives i think many people listening right now will say yes these exist and they're a problem obviously the next question is what can we do about that and i think you know obviously that's a big part of what the whole book talks about but yeah A thumbnail sketch. What do you think women can do about it? And I'd like to ask the other question. What can someone like me, who's part of that kind of middle-aged, quote unquote, rich white (laughs) male world do also about this? Because I think we all need to play a part.
1: Yeah, I think my answer is the same for both, which is just understanding and knowing these exist is huge. Just like knowing, okay. That person's working really hard and yet they're not financially successful. It's probably not their fault, right? Just knowing that and understanding that. Or I am working really hard and I feel guilty that I don't have a bunch of money and there must be something I'm doing wrong. No, no, the system wasn't built for you. It's very difficult to navigate. You are doing the best you can. Giving yourself grace and giving other people grace is going to be one of the biggest things that's going to change our world. Is just giving a lot of empathy and a lot of understanding that most people, and I would argue like 99% of them are doing the best that they can. They're doing the best that they can. This world's really hard. Things are really tricky to navigate. It always has been. And it seems like it's getting harder all the time. So if you can give yourself grace and you can also give other people grace, huge. And second, if you can do something about it, if you can, as a straight white man, share your salary with your women colleagues, or if me as a white woman can share my salary with my women of color colleagues, huge. Talk about money. Talk about all of the ways that you feel nervous about money. Talk about all of the ways that you've been successful. The amount of people that I've talked to who you know, are, are 40s, 50s, 60s, and they go, wow, I wish I knew this sooner. What if you could be that person for somebody in their 20s or 30s? What if you could be that person? What if you could be the person who does have the executive salary or the executive title who can talk about money openly or bring that person in a meeting? What if you can have the understanding that, oh, yep, I am treating this woman differently than I'm treating a man for asking for more money or for you know, taking on debt? I feel I I am giving her more shit than I would give a man for doing that. So... If you can be aware and you can also start using these narratives to actively change your own behavior, and if you have enough power, actively change your communities, your companies, everything starts to change, right? It's the domino effect of everything will be different. It doesn't have to be these huge sweeping things. It can be if you really want, if you're really connected, great. It can just be, I'm going to share my salary with one person. I'm going to bring this person into a meeting wow, I realized that you know the way I manage money in my marriage, I get upset when my wife spends her money on her manicures and I just hate it. And it's like, interesting, why do you think that way? And again, it doesn't have to be full of shame. It's just inquisitive. It's just curious. It's like an anthropologist going, interesting, why did you do that? It's a very neutral question. Why did you do that? And then you keep asking why. Why is this the way that it is? Oh, why is this the way that it is? Why do I feel this way? Interesting. And that's it. And it goes back again, grace. We're giving ourselves grace as we progress through this. We're asking ourselves why in a very neutral way. And when we potentially have an answer that we don't like, we go, interesting. Okay. We're giving ourselves grace for that. And I'm going to change my behavior.
0: We've been talking about personal behavior. Just one last note. If you could pass any piece of legislation, if you could introduce anything to Congress, is there any one thing that you think would make life a lot better?
1: I have like three things. Okay. Well, like my big two are paid family leave. We are the only quote unquote industrialized country in this world that does not require paid family leave. Paid maternity leave is the first step, but paternity leave is the next. It is not legally required for any company to offer paid leave at this point, which is utter, utter craziness. And the second is that a woman's right to choose is a hundred percent a financial issue and should be reflected as such. The woman's ability to choose what she wants to do with her body whether to terminate a pregnancy or not, is a financial issue. And if you believe in the economic success of this country, then you will support a woman's right to choose. Because the vast majority of pregnancies that are terminated are terminated by people who already have children, which means that it is a financial issue. They cannot afford another child. They cannot afford to take the resources that were split into two and now split them into three. So those are two huge issues that are 100% financial, that are not discussed in the way that they need to be discussed. And if you believe, again, in the economic progress of this country, of its people, then you will support both.
0: The book is Financial Feminist, Overcome the Patriarchy's Bullshit to Master Your Money and Build a Life You Love. Tori, tell us the easiest way for people to interact with you and your platform if they want to know more.
1: Sure. com or at Herfirstunderk on all the socials, herfirst r s t one zero zero k dot kcom
0: This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. And by having myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Tori Dunlap. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. All right. I leave things running um, just for a few minutes to get any after show. They're going to hate me, (laughs) Doc. No, no, no. Actually, well, so um, uh-huh. <laughs> I just talked to a woman who's CEO of Elevate, which is a network. Do oh, yeah. you know what Elevate is? Yeah. And and we talked about abortion actually quite a bit because it was a big part of her platform of why it's yep. a financial issue. So
1: it's 100 percent a financial yeah. issue. And
0: and so I, I don't know. So I, It's hard for me because I'm I'm I used to call myself strikingly liberal. I wouldn't go that far anymore, but I'm a pretty liberal person and my audience is not necessarily <laughs> very liberal. Yeah. Um yeah. and so but on the other hand I want this podcast to reflect me regardless of if that affects its popularity and so And I to appreciate me, that. Thank that's you. That's important. Um
1: and I'll send more people to it too. So yeah. I, I
0: appreciate that. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean piles and I host Nerd Wallets Smart Money Podcast.